0: How often did you drink because you thought it helped you relax? We hear a lot of people say that's one of the things they miss about alcohol, the relaxing effect it seemed to have or the way it temporarily quieted their mind. The thing about alcohol is that while it works for a short time, in the end, it only makes the anxiety and stress and racing mind even worse. If you have trouble relaxing and calming down your thoughts now that you're sober, this episode is for you. Before we jump into this episode, we just want to make sure you know that we now offer one-on-one recovery coaching services. If you're looking for an extra level of support and accountability and want some help creating a personalized recovery plan, get in touch through our website at throughtheglassrecovery.com and set up your free discovery call today. Okay hey everybody welcome to through the glass recovery podcast so happy to be here with these three we've never met any of these folks before and also i think everybody here is canadian again and so i'm outnumbered again that doesn't happen very often i think this is the second time
1: there's three so... of us for sure i'm not sure about brad yeah are also you canadian, canadian. Too? yeah <laughs> no way this is amazing <laughs>
0: All right. Well, cool. So this is um, Canadian episode number two. It Um, (laughs) I'm so excited. Really cool. Well, I'm so happy to have all of these people here. We're going to do our introductions first, like we always do.
2: And we're going to go ahead and start with Kim. Hi, I'm Kim from Sober is the New Cool. I stopped drinking for my son. It'll be 11 years in January that uh, I've never picked up another drink. And it started by accident just because he started having grand seizures. And I wanted to prove a point that you didn't need alcohol to have fun. And I realized quickly that I'd been drinking too much and my life was much better without it. Amazing. Amazing. That's
0: really cool. Well, thank you so much for being here. Really excited to get to chat with you.
3: And yeah, next we're going to go
0: with Britt. How are you
3: today? Hi, guys. I'm great. Thanks for having me. My name is Britt and I'm a former grey area drinker. I live in small town Saskatchewan with my husband and two kids and I quit drinking in March of 2021. So I'm just over two and a half years sober now. Um, I have an Instagram page and a website called Sober Flatlander and I kind of use it to share my story and advocate for the sober community and spread awareness and education on the dangers of problematic drinking. Amazing. Okay.
0: Steve has to ask, what date in March did you get sober?
3: It was March 16th.
1: Two days okay. after me. <laughs> yeah. March 14th. Um, I thought you were the same. I was like, I think she's the 16th because I think we've had this conversation, but that's <laughs> that's pretty awesome. Congratulations.
2: Thank you.
3: You You're really well. cool.
0: <laughs> um and really quick I don't know that we've ever had anyone on here talk about gray area drinking. Can you just explain that for our listeners um in case it's not something that they've heard of what you mean by that?
3: Sure, absolutely. So I think the best way to describe a gray area drinker is someone who kind of falls between the cracks in terms of identifying whether they have a drinking problem or not. Usually like in my own personal journey with alcohol, I found that I could always maintain a job and you know, be a present parent. And for all intents and purposes, I always looked like I had my act together, but behind the scene, I was really struggling silently and it made it really difficult for me to find help or even acknowledge that I had a drinking problem. So I've really been trying to advocate and spread awareness on the specific topic of gray area drinking, because I feel like it's a very prevalent problem in our society today.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Thank you so much for kind of explaining that. I think so many people identify with that and I'm not sure everyone's actually heard that term before. So sometimes it's nice just to be able to feel like you can define where it is that you stand a little bit better. So really cool. And then last but not least, we have Brad.
4: Yeah. Thank you so much for having me. Hard to follow up the The two previous guests there. Yeah, I've been in recovery since uh, January 11th, 2010. And um, I host up the Motivation Network. I I was a clinical caseworker, counselor, um, addiction counselor here at a treatment center for six years. And I worked a ton of outpatient programs and started up uh, RAM clinics. You might have heard of them, Rapid Access Addiction Clinics here in Canada. They have a few different acronyms, but I was sort of a beginner for that. And then I started this online thing. I started my podcast a year ago and yeah, I just like to share stories of sobriety, of recovery, of people just living their best lives and kind of getting out of their own way and giving back and making an impact. So that's a short spiel. And thanks for having me. Yeah,
0: thank you so much for being here. That is awesome. You guys are all so inspiring and I love yeah. that you're getting your stories out there and all of the things you do. So just so our listeners know, everybody is contact information and websites and all of the cool stuff that they're doing is going to be linked in our show notes. So make sure you check that out and you can follow them all and fill your, your Instagram and Facebook and LinkedIn feeds with all kinds of (laughs) extra motivation and inspiration.
1: Whereabouts in Canada are you? Me? Yeah. I'm in Kitchener. Oh, seriously? Yes. You're like neighbors. You and Steve are basically neighbors. I'm going to be in London tomorrow. (laughs) Oh yeah. There you go. I'm going to, Yeah. We're going to have to have a coffee.
0: <laughs> Super cool. Go
1: for a rip down to the Tim Hortons there and oh just God, get one do of those <laughs> I'll stop.
0: <laughs> this is what happens when, when we have Canadians on. Steve oh, starts speaking I Canadian. Get
1: and... I get goofy anyways.
0: You do. We know this about you. <laughs> Anyway, so for our topic today, I think at some point or another, almost everyone uses alcohol to help them relax or to quiet their mind. One of the biggest struggles people tell us about is not knowing how to settle down after a long day or how to get their spinning thoughts to slow down. So that's what we're going to talk about today. What has this been like for you? Have you found new ways to relax or quiet your mind? And what does that look like in your life? Anybody's Anybody willing to jump go. in, and then <laughs> we will
2: just go from there. Okay, You want me to start?
4: Sure. Go for it.
2: So for me, when my son got sick, I thought alcohol was the way for me to de-stress at the end of the day or not think about, is he going to have a seizure and be able to basically go to sleep at night. And from one day to the next, once we got his medication kind of on board, we were told he would never be able to drink. And at that point... I said to him, you know, you've got to get back out, be with your friends, have fun. And he said, Mom, I don't fit in. So at that point, I said, I'm going to stop drinking for three months. And uh, here we are. But for me, the best thing I did was I started jogging. I started meditating. And I Mm -hmm. found that every time I woke up or every day that passed, my brain was working better. The fog was lifting. I was less nervous with him being sick than I was when I was drinking, I was sleeping better. So there was like a combination of everything. And I think for me, when I was drinking, I thought, oh, my God, I speak better. I can talk to anybody, all my insecurities go away. And I found a way to be able to find passion. And because 10 years ago, there wasn't much in social media for any of this. There was nowhere for me to go to talk about it other than Hello Sunday Morning in Australia. So for me, I had to find new ways. And it was just through exercise and listening mm-hmm. to podcasts, listening to reading any book I could and trying anything. And, you know, it was just like trial and error. And by listening to others and creating a Facebook page which and an Instagram, which I had no idea what I was doing, All these people came from the United Kingdom. That was the first place that like bombarded me with questions. And then it was funny because they are so more far along than we are. Even then they found ways to help me and I found ways to help them. And here we are. So it's been a a blessing and finding having a whole life as opposed to half of one.
0: Yeah. I think what you said there, it's, it's all about being willing to try all the things until you figure out what works for you. Right. And being willing to go out there and do things completely outside of your comfort zone and do things that you feel like you're going to be really bad at doing in order to figure out what's going to work. Right. And talking to more, the more people you talk to and find out what they do like and listen to podcasts like this one, the more ideas you get for things that are going to help you de-stress and, and calm down and relax.
3: So I, I would like to piggyback a bit off of what, Tim was saying, because I think those are some really great sentiments. And I too find solace in a lot of those activities like exercising and meditation and yoga and, and those certainly help me manage my stress nowadays. When I had first quit drinking, again, like you can, I was so afraid of having to sleep without having a drink beforehand, like I was 100% convinced that it could not be done and I sincerely managed my anxiety and OCD which I've suffered from since I was a kid by drinking like that was my coping mechanism and I really believe there was no other way and I didn't want to commit my life to taking medication I thought alcohol was the safer route and it's just also backwards now, looking back at it. But essentially when when I did quit drinking, I kind of had a moment where the universe aligned for me because I had been waiting for a couple of years to get into therapy with a, with a therapist who specialized in OCD. And um, it was only a few months into my sobriety that I got the call saying that I had been accepted and assigned a, a therapist. So, I was just very lucky in that sense, but I can really speak to the therapy piece and maybe this will resonate with others who struggle with their mental health and are feeling like there's no way out of their drinking patterns because how are they going to manage their mental health? I really found that it was a learning process for me in terms of learning CBT or cognitive behavioral therapy And uh, just teaching and training my brain on how to cope without relying on any coping mechanisms. And it really was a long, arduous process, but ultimately so beneficial because I learned to live with myself, essentially. And I gave myself a lot of grace through that because I really got to know myself from being sober and from what I learned through therapy. So I, I certainly can speak to that component for my sobriety and what's helped me learn to manage my stress and anxiety.
0: So does, I haven't actually, I'm familiar with CBT on some levels, like some of the exercises, but is there stuff in there that's going to like really teach you how to calm your, like quiet your mind and relax and stuff? Is that some, is that like a skill that you learn when you're going through CBT stuff?
3: absolutely it's a skill that you learn and i think that we are pre-programmed to assume that we should be able to calm ourselves down and stop ruminating and prevent intrusive thoughts just naturally and it's not naturally occurring for most of us and truly when you suffer with mental health conditions you typically train yourself in the opposite manner as you go through life so you, your automatic response is to feed into the rumination and to feed into the intrusive thoughts by acting compulsively or obsessing over those thoughts. And it's it's really like rewriting your own story by learning these tactics and, and strategies for reversing those thought processes.
0: Really cool. Thank you for sharing that. That's yeah. not something that's I think ever really come up specifically here before. So I think that's just a tool that, so many people could benefit from, because you're right, we teach ourselves all the wrong ways to handle the things that we don't know how to handle that are uncomfortable, right? So that's, that's really cool. Thank you. Yes, thank
4: you. Here I am again, following up two incredible shares, my goodness, I have to go first next time. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I mean, I think uh, my story is a little bit different, I think, than what I've heard here too, before is, I mean, if for me, it was every day, I was trying to, I was on the run for myself and past trauma and everything else. I actually was diagnosed with ADHD early on in life. So the hyperactivity, the brain always just operating, you know, what, what I knew early on to be normal later on, I realized that (laughs) it wasn't normal in other people, it it wasn't uh, this, it wasn't operating for them that way. So uh, the alcohol was a great medicine. Um, when I got off the medication I was prescribed, I had this brilliant idea, and that's a story for another day. But that I was going to figure this out, and the alcohol—the the weird thing was—at the, at the beginning, in the early stages, it worked so well. I mean, it shut it right down. All the negative thoughts, every every insecurity—I mean, it was gone. I was able to fit in. I was able to be part of a a community. I had been, you know, bullied and been sort of on the outside of life for so long, and now I'm. I'm part of it, right? I'm talking to girls and going to parties. I mean, it would—it didn't start out terrible, but it always served that purpose of, of quieting down the voices, those insecurities. And then when you build that habit too, I mean, there's addiction, but there was also that daily habit of things too. So that I think was there before the addiction part, where it was a daily habit of something I picked up all the time. This was my solution. It was the only tool I wore on my belt. It's like showing up to build a house with, maybe a pack of nails. That's your only thing. You're not going to get very far. And that's the situation I ended up in time and time again is I just had one tool. And the, th- yeah, like I said, it was good until it wasn't, you know, all the excitement from the beginning and everything that it helped for. What I noticed is once I got into about college, a lot of my friends were moving on. They were starting, we, we partied really hard and we had a lot of fun. Then they started to like not be interested anymore. And I was like, oh, cool. You know, I won't be interested anymore. And there I was and I just couldn't stop. And I did a lot of other extracurriculars as well. But and I just couldn't stop. And then, yeah, when you do, when when I did stop, I was used to that one strategy. Right. So now I would say things have changed a lot over the years. I mean, I have three kids now and life is completely different. But I mean, I, I still have the hyperactivity part that component into my life. But what I do now is I really get engaged with hobbies. I really stay, su- I really stay close to support network, and I don't mean a twelve step fellowship. But I really stay in support with people who are good people, people who have integrity, people who are going to uh, inspire and push me to be better. And those are a big thing and in hobbies. I love kayaking in the summer. In the winter, I ice rink across the street. I'll play ice hockey. I I kick it with the kids. I, I love nothing more. I have a six year old, a three year old, and almost a two year old. So. I mean, in between those activities, life is pretty busy. It's a completely different life I live now than the way I used to live. I mean, I'm like a five time convicted felon. I got actually how I ended up back in Canada. I was born here, but I grew up in the US and I got deported in a lifetime ban from the US. So it's an interesting story there how I ended up back to where I was born. But those are some of the things that really help me keep my mind. I like to play video games. I usually end every day with one game of NHL 24. I play online and it's just a weird little thing I do around like 11 o'clock or 1130. I just kick on the PlayStation and I play one game and I really try to stick to a routine and a schedule, discipline, um, exercise. That's going to look different with the seasons that we have, but I... um, I don't leave, even this many years later, you know, some people say, why don't you just like, you know, lay off the gas a little bit with this whole recovery thing. But for me today, it's not about staying sober. It's not about, I'm not worried about going and drinking or doing drugs today or any of that stuff. I'm not worried about that. What I'm worried of is that I'll behave in a way that I once did. Um, And then that's a slippery slope that goes back. And I don't want to be that person anymore. So it's always important for me to keep my guard up and just try to, you know, every day put one foot in front of the other. I have absolutely nothing figured out. I'm learning every day. But those are a few of the things is just trying to stay busy with some activities, some hobbies. And I mean, if you're at a point in your journey, like go after something in life, set some goals yeah. for yourself. I mean, I lived a long time without pursuing anything. I'm like just doing the same groundhog day, same thing. Oh, you know, I can't wait till my life changes. And it's like, well, it's not going to change if you do the same thing. I just like, internal conversations with myself. So if you're new on the journey or no matter where you're at, I mean, are you, you know, extend yourself a little bit, take some chances, you know, start a side hustle, start a business, learn a new craft, make some, do some woodworking. I used to do that all the time, woodworking and just learning new things. And it really helped me out to build confidence in myself, which I never had before. So I would say those are, you know, some of the things that helped me get my mind, uh, you know, helped me early on and still help me today to get my to relax in the evening and to to stay plugged in, stay present, not wander off into the the wide world of what if. Oh, the wild, wide world of what
1: if. Oh man. Yeah. Uh, I for me it was the opposite. I don't have a busy mind. My mind is quiet. I have to work to to generate. Uh, like a consistent thought like i i can sit very empty for a a considerable amount of time and 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 just wander off into god knows where i'm still here i'm still present i'm i'm still available but i sometimes i really my struggle is is like when am i going to come up with ideas when am i gonna like I, i i i get this emptiness so when I was drinking, it is almost like boredom and loneliness and all because I, I don't even have my head to have a conversation with. Mm. I don't have a battle. The battle is, is the, is the emptiness. The battle is the, the nothingness that really exists. So when I come home to relax, there's nothing there. I have something to do. That's drink. That was also to avoid things that were going on in my life. So I didn't have to face them, but Mm. I didn't have to think, not thinking about something is fairly easy for me to do. Unless it starts getting into what other people think about me or relationships or something like that, because I was blessed with an anxious attachment style. So something I didn't really recognize, but if I'm going to think about a, a thought cycle, one that I would use to fight, that was the one that I was fighting. I was fighting... The, the, what does this person think? Or they don't like me, or uh, they must be mad at me, or whatever that is. And then creating that, that story. I was, that was one story I was really good at creating, right? I was good at taking things personally and I was good at finding a reason of something that I did that, that, that was bad that made them feel that way. So I could take responsibility for all the crap that was going on in my life when it was really taking responsibility for a lot of other people's things.
0: How do you stop that cycle when, it, when you're just that, that churning? So I do the same thing, like you're talking about where I'm like, this person doesn't like me. And then I like to, just for fun, replay every interaction I've ever had with that person, usually in the shower. That's like the place for this, right? But the the constant, and you you tell yourself stories and you turn it like making movies, right? What do you do to stop it?
1: Fact. A lot of the thoughts that come through my mind aren't fact-based at all. They're, this is what I think someone else is thinking. I can't, I have no right to know what anyone else is thinking, nor do I have any right to guess what they're thinking. So, if I go back to actual fact, that and what somebody thinks about me is none of my business anyway, really, in the end. So, I go back to fact, what has happened? Because uh, my squirrel is really good at creating things that don't exist and creating c- scenarios that haven't happened yet. Or, all I'm doing is personalizing, right? It's, it's basically a it's a it's a thinking habit that I need to work on. So if I go to fact, and the other one is as I tell on myself, I actually approach the person that I'm having this negative thought cycle with or about, and say, "Hey, this is what I'm thinking, or this is the story I'm telling myself, and it's awkward and it's weird and." sometimes cringy, but generally speaking, it leads to a really open conversation. I've created one hell of a mess in my own head that doesn't even exist. Like, and I've proven that to myself over and over again. And the other one is, is if you really want to stop it, write it down and then read it back to yourself. I've done that too. If I want to create a story of the future, I can write that down and those conversations never go the way that, that I think they're going to go. Yeah, but that was much like what you were talking about, Brad. Growing up, Kim, I had I had childhood epilepsy. Um, I had three ground mouse seizures in one day. I know, um, like I lived that. That's scary as hell. So, and then what happened with me? A little bit of my own backstory. I. Was absolutely terrified. I was the kid that was in school who had minor seizures, whose head was twitching and eyes went sideways and couldn't control my body. So, want to talk about trying to fit in or having a hard time having friends and that sort of thing. So, in the end, when when I ended up getting the green light to drink, and I'm doing a lot of talking right now, so I'll I'll, I'll uh, slow this down in a minute. I I started working and I started hanging out with people and I hadn't had a seizure in a good long time because the last one I had when I was 16 and so I'm like 21 years old and I'm out with friends and I have, you know, two or three drinks and I'm feeling good. Nothing happens to me. And then I go out with friends again. Then I have two or three drinks and I'm still kind of terrified. And then I call the doctor and I'm like, I haven't taken any medication in a year. He's like, if you haven't had any problems, we don't need to see you. Cool. Boom. I am good to go. I'm hanging out with buddies and I am drinking like binge drinking like a fish. And and that's the beginning of it. That's, that was my green light because I was terrified of drinking when I was younger because I was terrified of having another seizure. So, but yeah, for me, it's the quiet mind. It's a lot quieter generally than it is active.
0: So I'm going to go back, and I can't remember who it was that kind of mentioned this, but when I first stopped drinking, things would happen that would stress me out, and they would—they were those things that, like, by the end of the day, it's 5 o'clock, and I'm like, there's no way I'm going to relax after this mess or that mess or this disaster or that conversation or whatever, and I couldn't even imagine how I was going to relax or calm down after that right I remember on like day three of sobriety our cows got out I live on a ranch they ended up we didn't find them for like four days they ended up like miles away it was this it it was just a shit show and I was three days sober right how do you calm down after something like that like how do I relax at the end of the day and make it okay enough like you guys said to go to sleep right and I, I made it, but it was like white knuckling through it. And I'm like, if this is what sobriety is like, cause every day when you live on a farm, I mean, I'm sh- every day in anybody's life has the potential to be a shit show, right? And like by five o'clock, everybody's like, oh my God, I need to relax. And I remember like, you know, I got a flat tire and like the whole world felt like it was ending on day, I don't know, six. I'm like, how am I gonna calm down and relax after this? Like, that's what we did, right? We drank after flat tires and cows getting out and arguments with our kids and whatever and i will say that 2 years in when the cows get out i'm just like damn or when the, i get a flat tire i'm like this sucks okay what am i going to do right it everything just seems more manageable so early in sobriety i was like how will i ever relax again because life keeps happening and i think it's just the time And the practice and the perspective make those things that seemed huge on day six just seem like little inconveniences now, two and some odd years in. I don't know if that resonates with you guys, but it just seems like things get a little easier to deal with in general. And I guess I just want to give hope to people who are early on.
1: Brad mentioned something he mentioned about these, like these thought patterns that he had even before drinking. Like I didn't really, if I look back, I didn't really cope well with life to begin with. And then I, and and then I found drinking and it made things really a lot easier. The insecurities, all of that stuff, the same things you're talking about, Brad, but those thought patterns existed well beforehand. And then I found ways to perpetuate those thought patterns and they just got worse and worse along with it. So uh, along with the addiction to alcohol, I was addicted to the chaos that was actually alcohol was causing too. So then if I take away the alcohol and then I, I I maintain my addiction or I ta- maintain the chaos in the same thought patterns that I'm now trying to get out of that were caused me to get to where I got to before. And I still liked the chaos. I created chaos to give to give myself importance even after I quit. And so to, it's hard. And then like Brad mentioned the hobbies and stuff like that too. It's like definitely you all said great stuff. All of it.
3: Yeah, I'd like to add to what you said about creating chaos, Steve, because I certainly felt that I did the same thing and it really added to my overall stress and anxiety. And I think part of it was that when I drank, I couldn't handle the feeling of boredom. And I was a, I became very sensory seeking. So if I wasn't drinking, I was bored. And it took a long time to develop a mindset that could just sit and be bored and just accept the painful torture that it is to just be a bored individual. And I think that's becoming an increasingly difficult thing in our society with how much stimulation is constantly around us. So again, um, I certainly found that I had to learn to sit with the boredom and not look for something to fill that void, which I can see how, when you say, when you said Steve, that you had, a very empty mind and you struggled to, you almost wanted to turn up the volume instead of turn down the volume. I, I can see where you're coming from in, in saying that because I certainly had that experience at times too. And in terms of creating chaos, I I found that I really engaged in self-sabotaging behaviors quite often when I drank. And I think the whole, the whole experience of problematic drinking is a self-sabotaging behavior and for me my drinking was very punitive and i drank out of shame and embarrassment and guilt and for all the same reasons that we can we probably can find between us and when i had quit drinking i i noticed that without those self-sabotaging behaviors and without the shame I really opened myself up to getting to know myself and forgive myself. And through that created more space in my life so that I wouldn't self-sabotage and overcommit or try and just do all the things. And I think that really helped me to develop stronger boundaries with myself. I really found that in my drinking days, I i was my own worst enemy and i i believed myself into submission a lot so on the on the stress note i find that just giving yourself grace and lowering not so much lowering your expectations but realizing that you are human and that you don't always have to have it all figured out or be doing all the things it it's it really allows yourself space and Peace to just enjoy your life,
2: and I guess I guess for me as a mom, I started for my son, and I used him as the excuse. So, and you saying that you know the doctors told you that you could have alcohol. They told my fourteen-year-old son he could have one or two drinks, and mm-hmm. the first year we ended up in an ambulance eleven times because he wanted to fit in and he wanted to be mm-hmm. like everybody else. Mm-hmm. So I had to be. Someone I no matter what, I loved him more than I loved myself. So I had to use that to get through. and it wasn't until year six where finally, when I had to let go and control of everything and anything he did, did I really start to heal? Because before that, it was it was all about him. I could only focus on, and I had to stay sober for him. Everything was about him. every post, every, person I spoke to it was always centered around my child. And I guess what it came down to was I never really did love myself that much. But I loved him enough to to get better and to, to show him that, you know, after the first year, he too now could be okay. He's five years seizure free. But I find it funny that doctors would say yes, you can shrink when you have epilepsy, which Jesus, I don't get, I'm sorry, but I just got to say that out there because I don't, you know, and with the ADHD medicine and everything else he was taking, I mean, I don't get it, but so there are other ways.
1: My mother instilled the fear of God in me. She was just like, you know, that's what it says, right? Don't mix alcohol with your medication. Well, I, I mean, I didn't, I didn't because the memory of the, that seizure was, I mean, I can still remember all three times, all in the same day. It was like, it's, that stuff is really hard to forget, but eventually the fear goes away, right? It's, it's almost like a complacency thing. It's, 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 it's been this far along, right? It's, we're all sober for an X amount of period of times, a lot of years. And Kim, you talk about doing it for your son and then even recognizing that, what, wait a second, I need to do this for me. <laughs> yeah. Right. That's even being able to recognize that is, is fantastic and, and, and to work on yourself like that. It's amazing.
0: I imagine you must have learned so many different skills right there at that time too. Right. Because if you're so focused on on another person and doing it for them and then that goes away, I can see how then you're you're all of a sudden having to learn new skills and new ways to do things and new ways to look at things like that's a massive change in itself. That's like that's got to almost feel like getting sober for a second time in a way.
2: And not taking everybody's glass of wine out of their hand. I got to tell you, that was year six was my I don't know how I got through that summer, but I did. But that was amazing. Yeah, because there was no control. All of a sudden, everything else was about me and I wasn't good about me. It was about always about everybody else. And I think as mothers or fathers, often we lose ourselves in our children or our families. And, and uh, we forget about, you know, that we have to be the ones to take care of them and ourselves. Both. They go hand in hand.
0: Oh, for sure. Well, I, like so as a mother of a sixteen year old who just got her driver's license and it basically has no use for me anymore. I I feel everything you're talking about there like so deeply. <laughs>
4: look at Kim it's laughing as soon as you say
1: that. She's like, Oh, I know.
0: <laughs> yeah, no, I can I can see that that look on your face. Like it is it is like starting life over completely, right? All I've done my whole life is be a mom and be and and I've homeschooled both of my kids. I mean, I have been there for literally every moment of their lives. And all of a sudden, I'm not. And so I feel like you and I could have a great conversation outside of this recording. But um, (laughs) I feel like you have some wisdom I probably need to hear.
1: I feel like that's a different Um, topic for a different recording, because I think it's probably useful for everyone else to hear, too.
0: That's probably true. We Mm -hmm. need to like gather a whole bunch of people who have been through this because it's like a major life change. But um, going back to the whole relaxation thing, I had a couple of other notes written down here. One is just and, and it's basic stuff, right, for, to, to relax, because that's what we have to learn how to do. I've never been a meditator. I have tried. I just can't figure it out. Um, and I know that if I practiced harder and tried harder, I probably would be able to. But one day, first time I quit drinking, so I, I was sober for like 14 months, and then I relapsed for a year. And now I'm, I'm a couple years into my second round. But first time I quit drinking on Facebook, there was an ad in our local little community um, Facebook group. And somebody was giving away a free 120-year-old piano. And I was like, I want that. And I decided at that moment I was going to learn how to play piano. Some really nice guy came and dropped it off in my living room. It is terribly out of tune, and I haven't even had it tuned. And I took six months of piano lessons when I was eight years old. That's the extent of my knowledge. But to me, playing piano is so relaxing. And I've taught myself how to play I have to focus so hard because I'm so bad at it that I can't think about everything else going on in my life if I'm actually going to get through a song. And so that's kind of my version of meditation as, you know, just focusing on the notes and focusing on my fingers. But every time I see somebody on a Facebook group giving away a free musical instrument, like I think to myself, some sober person needs that. Some sober person out there needs that free trombone so that they can (laughs) – (laughs) <laughs> busy themselves and their minds and whatever. So highly recommend checking Facebook groups for free musical instruments. They seem to be there a lot, but that has been a really helpful thing for me. There are days that I'll sit down and play piano 15 times a day because that's what my brain needs to settle and calm down. I don't know if any of you guys have ever have figured anything else out or if you have little things that have, have worked.
1: Going for a walk. And getting out in nature. Anytime I've gone for a hike, no matter what is going on in my life, when I get outside and I get into nature and I'm there long enough, I start becoming part of nature. Nature grounds me and starts to make me present. Regardless of what's kind of going on in my mind or in my life, it just has a way. Yeah, yeah I mean, I'm with. You. I, uh, oh, sorry. Go
4: ahead. Go ahead.
3: I was just gonna say I agree with you there, Steve. Yeah. Like being in nature is is peak for for treating your anxiety and and uh, just escaping the grind and and freeing yourself from your normal distractions and normal surroundings that are often what contribute to the thought processes that are going on in your head. So I really agree with that. And Julie, piano stresses me out completely, but I'm a macrame artist and okay. <laughs> I find that therapeutic. So I, I think that's a great sentiment that you brought up. Finding a hobby that really speaks to your soul is is so important and and more so in recovery because you need those things to lean on that, that give you pride and enjoyment and just, add a little bit of beauty
4: to your life, your everyday life. Go for it, Brad. Yeah, I just was going to say I can relate to you with that. I went to I went to this wilderness rehab in 2005. My parents signed me up for this place and I lived in uh, Knoxville, Tennessee. Jones Bend Road. It was uh, surrounded by Tennessee River and you couldn't leave this place. I was just young, 17 at the time. But we lived in a cabin for like eight months of the pro was a year long program. But eight months of it lived in the cabin and before I did that program, I didn't have any understanding of nature or connecting or realize sunrise, sunset, moon. I didn't appreciate or notice any of that stuff. And then when I went to this program, I really started to connect with that. And we did have some some traditions too that would like follow. Um, it was Native American traditions at the time. And a lot of that stuff, working through the levels and everything was all about connecting back with you know where you're at and being present and it, it always changes everything i mean sometimes it's it's tough right i think sometimes that i do anyway i i talk myself out talk myself out of doing what i know i need to do it's always so interesting right I mean, mm-hmm. we know that we have this list of five things that if we do them it's going to tremendously change our outlook perspective or the way we're thinking or feeling And then sometimes I get in my own way. So that's always a constant, you know, a constant thing to work on. For me anyway, it's not something I have completely mastered. I'll get in my way of stress. Well, this needs to be done. That needs to be done. And if I take time away from it, then it's never going to get done. Reality is what I've figured out time and time again is take by by looking after ourselves, we can actually get the things done a lot better. So even if you're like, well, I need to get this done And it's going to take two hours, so I can't take 30 minutes to go for a walk or 20 minutes to go for a hike or I can't do that stuff. What we're actually doing is just keeping ourselves stuck because if we go for that 20 minutes and we kind of get a a reboot and a restart and a refresh, we come back into it just fired up, ready to go. And um, I always try to keep that in mind when I'm when I'm stuck, like I don't want to move forward, but I just try to keep that, you know, remember how how it played out last time. And that seems to be helpful, you know, but I love that. Getting out in nature. We got the winter coming, so strap on your boots, get out there, shovel the driveway, do something. Um, I know it's not maybe the funnest thing in the whole wide world, but I even enjoy that, you know, as weird as it is, even enjoy the little things, right, on this whole journey. So thanks for letting me share that, Steve, and everyone else.
2: And I think you're right, Brad. For me, the sunrise is a huge thing for me, being a morning person that there's hope and it's like, doesn't matter. Somehow that kind of fixes it. Yeah.
1: You guys, I'm going to wrap this up. Uh, Brad, you mentioned the last thing you were talking about there. The thought in my head was just get up and do like, just get out, just get move. Cause you're talking about shoveling the driveway and it's cold and it's, All of these things that I don't want to experience because it's uncomfortable. But as soon as I get out there and I start shoveling the driveway and the blood gets pumping and my heart starts running a little bit fast and I break a little bit of a sweat, then I feel like jumping in the snow and I feel like making snowballs and I start doing all of this other stuff that I didn't want to get out and do. And then I had have fun. Like I feel better afterwards. I feel better than I did before I started even though I was doing the thing that I didn't want to do. That whole thing goes with like all of the same stuff we just talked about. We talked about the trial and error. It's uncomfortable until we find something that's comfortable. We used alcohol to sleep. That was like a huge topic that we, we all kind of mentioned at the beginning. It, nef- it definitely knocked me out. I was tired again in the morning, but it definitely knocked me out. Exercising, jogging, meditating... That's a hard one. Julie, I know one of the things you do, and even Britt, you mentioned art. Something to do with your hands, that macrame. I'm not much of an artist myself, or the piano, that's another art. I think any sort of, Julie taught me this early on, it doesn't have to be drawing. It doesn't have to be, something creative is essentially its own art form all on its own. So even if it's writing, or you know, creating a reel or recording it and editing it and that sort of thing. They're all art forms all on, on their own. Uh, using alcohol to cope with anxiety and OCD, like you talked about Brit or ADHD, Brad, active minds, therapy, therapy is huge. Therapy is amazing. It's an, it's a fantastic tool, how to manage your mount, mental health. None of this happens quickly. And I think it's important to remind ourselves that it is a journey and remind everyone else that it is a journey. This doesn't happen quickly those the those negative thought patterns and learning how to relax, learning how to sit with yourself. Britt, you mentioned that that boredom all comes with time. It all comes with just kind of ended up doing it. Routine and schedule. I think if I'm looking at all of you, we all probably have some sort of routine now that we do throughout the day, that is self-care, self, something you do for yourself that makes you feel better, that helps you move throughout the day. And if you skip that or miss that over a period of time, it probably doesn't feel so good, and you probably get back to those basic things. This conversation was great. I think you guys were absolutely awesome. I love sitting here with a whole bunch of Canadians and Julie being the odd American out this I'm the just
0: foreigner. makes <laughs>
1: i'm normally the foreigner so julie welcome to our podcast
2: <laughs> um, Oh, thank you <laughs>
1: <laughs> hosted by the canadians today him your smile has been bright this whole entire conversation i just have to say uh i see you on social media all the time and Just like on social media, you're as bright as you are right here with us today. So thank you, Kim. Thank you, Britt. Thank you, Brad, for showing up today, spending a half an hour, 35 minutes with us and sharing your thoughts and experiences. Thank you guys so much.
2: Thank you. Yeah. Yeah, thank you.
3: Thanks for having me.
1: To our listeners, thank you so much for being here. We hope you're finding these episodes as inspiring as we are. If you haven't already, make sure you rate and review us on your favorite podcast listening platform. It goes a long way in getting those platforms to recommend our content to the folks that need to hear it.